Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. This is, don't miss this. I was just about to say, this is our third attempt this morning. (laughs) So third time's a charm. Um, We kept knocking everything over before we started, but we're hoping this goes a lot better. Okay, what caused all the mayhem was the timeline. That was causing all the problems. So let's show you this first. If you're new with us, welcome. Um, We created as sort of a uh, what do you say, a study tool, a cool yeah. like resource, whatever for this year, this timeline of the whole Old Testament. And you can get it for free, download it for free at don'tmissthisstudy.com backslash timeline, or it just comes in our newsletter every single week. Um, what else comes in the newsletter is the picture that you put on. These we are, love this one. Yeah, this one is one we of Eva Timothy's one. art. Um, it is awesome. We insisted, <laughs> we love to say that, um, that sister Noah be in this picture also. So that's cool. I've never seen a picture of Noah with his wife before. And I think this is so awesome. And you love that he's just carrying a little duck. A duck? Yeah. And she's carrying a little black lamb. I wanted that's what car- I think she's oh, carrying. I wanted them to carry an elephant, but a duck's fun. Um, it's so cute. So we're going to add this on here and just, let's just kind of review where we've been. And this is why we're kind of going piece by piece. Um, day by day, adding one in each week. We have so many overachievers out there that want to fill up your whole board <laughs> at once, but it's not going to be as fun if you do that for two reasons. First of all, the Old Testament actually repeats itself, and we want you to watch the repeat happen when it happens. So if everything's on here, you're going to actually miss the repeat. So it's going to be fun to just go with us. Just be patient and go with us. But also we want you to be able to learn as we go so that if you were to take off these first six right now, you could just put them up all by yourself without looking because you'd be like, oh, I remember because the first week we did. This is who I am and this is who you are in a work. Almost like that. These are what God's purposes are. Overview, which was awesome. Then we did the creation Then we did the story of Adam and Eve and the fall and the garden. Then we did Enoch, um, one lesson on him and then one lesson on the city of Zion. And today we put Noah on because that's where we're at in the timeline. So it's kind of fun to remember who came, (laughs) when they came, what was happening. This is going to be so helpful as we get over here and we introduce the 12 tribes right here. But it's, you're really, you're really going to be fine to just go one piece at a time and you're going to be so happy because it's going to help you commit to memory the, the storyline of the Old Testament. Yeah. And it's cool this week in particular to see that the same time that Zion was being built up, um, Noah, they, these two stories overlap with each other. And so it's just kind of neat to see, which makes you feel extra sad for Noah because you remember the city of Enoch. <laughs> Everybody who was righteous was translated, <laughs> taken up, and Noah's left with an ark. Everybody and who's all the left. animals. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so <laughs> yes. it's like, um, which this is one of the most well known stories, obviously, in, in the whole Bible. Um, even people who don't study the Bible know the story of Noah and the ark. And this is just something we've been thinking about. Every, if people who know this story know that the world was super wicked and it was just corrupt. And we'll get into that in just a second. But if I were to ask you, how did God respond 
to the wickedness of the world during the times of Noah? I bet 93.7% of the Think people... of your answer before you... Oh, it's yeah. so fun. Think of your answer. What would you say? Yeah. How uh, did God respond? How did God respond to the wickedness? Yeah. And 90... What percentage did I say? 93.8. It just increased. Okay? <laughs> it just increased. Um, percent of people would say, oh, he flooded the earth or he cleansed the earth. And today we want to talk about um, God's other response to that. That the answer to that question is not that he flooded the earth, but that he provided protection and rest and refuge for people in a wicked world. And so we want to watch that response as we're going through the lesson today. We want you to be watching for, again, the character of God and where do we see his promise to covenant Israel in this story? And, And where do we see his character in this story? And we love the quote right here. Oh, yeah, Um, in the journal. In the journal that talks about if the earth is flooded with wickedness, God will respond. That is true. But we want you to watch how, how he responds. Yeah, and particularly, you know, as we talk about, well, when we jump into this, I I think it'll come up as we jump in. So let's just look. Let's go into Genesis 6 first. And this is kind of a description of what the world is like at the time of Noah. Um, Interestingly, we have this little... Uh, other scripture next to it from Matthew 24 that describes that Jesus references the flood and compares the time of the flood of Noah of Noah but he says the time of no is what he says N-O-E that's how it's translated into English but it's Noah Um, similar to the time that will precede his second coming so if you want to know what the world's going to look like right before the second coming then you're really interested in what the world looks like In Noah's time. Yeah. So Genesis 6, we have verses 5, 12, and 13 to look at. So if you go into 5, it just says, wickedness was great. And this really interesting thought, every imagination of the thoughts of people's hearts was evil continually. Like that's wild to think it's just penetrated everybody's like imagination. Like that's what they dream up. That's what they think of. That's what they... What they desire, what they hope for is yeah. evil continually. And only evil continually, which is so interesting. Yeah, that's like full on rotten. If it says only evil, you know, sometimes you look at an apple or something and you cut out like the bad parts or yeah. something like that. I don't. I throw the whole apple away. I can't even stand <laughs> it, you know. But like, you know, usually like moms are like, yeah. no, the rest of it's still good or whatever. Yes. And they cut out the bad parts. But this one, it would just be a fully rotten apple no good parts in it at all right it's kind of the the idea there verse 12 and 13 still kind of the same thoughts it was corrupt um all flesh had corrupted his way and god said to noah the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence he was like this is the end for everybody they are going to destroy themselves is kind of what the thought was, and it's so interesting that line that it was filled with violence. I was listening to this podcast once where a guy was um, interviewing this rabbi. I don't even know what podcast it was. It just came up randomly. And he made the observation, the pattern that he's seen in the history of the world, that before a place kind of self-destructs, you know, it's usually immorality and violence are something that you... Hmm. Are rampant. Hap- right, are rampant. Like you, mm-hmm. like one of the examples was ancient Rome. You know, where he was just like there were the the Colosseum and the 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 you know the fight the gladiators and and all the nasty and and they watched it like that was people's entertainment. You know, it was they ga- yeah they gathered 
to be entertained by violence, hmm. you know, which actually makes me feel a little bit sheepish I because I have said before and heard before, you know, people are like, oh, you know, is that movie okay or whatever? Is that form of entertainment okay? Is it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The only problem is violence, <laughs> you know, in there. And it's kind of like, in this yes. one, he sort of says, it's just as filled with it. The whole earth is filled with it. And it's so interesting because if you look at um, within those verses, because there's part of us that is like, well, we still see good on the earth today, right? And I love that what God is going to teach us in this book, and we see it in a lot of stories, is that there can still be good and righteous people in the middle of a really wicked situation. And that's hard. But I just love the thought that there was still goodness there. There was still hope there. There was still a chance for people there. And we read about Noah and we'll come back into this again, but I just love looking at it. The whole world versus Noah in verse eight, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah was a just man. It tells us in verse nine and perfect in his generations. And he walked with God. And there's just a couple things we want you to note there. Um, mm. That word perfect is a tricky word for us. Because we want to think it means he made no mistakes ever. Yeah, flawless. And that's yeah. not true about Noah or any of us, really. That life is going to happen, mortality is going to happen, and mistakes are going to happen. But that word Hebrew in Hebrew could have been translated spiritually upright, genuine, inwardly entire and complete. Don't you love that thought of just being inwardly entire and complete? One whose heart had a single aim. And that aim was to walk with God. And we love that as you think about who we've met so far, Adam walked with God, Enoch, Enoch yeah. walked with God, and now we're meeting Noah who walked with God and, and both for Enoch and for Noah in a time of great wickedness, they made a choice to walk with God. And I love when you see patterns like that in the Old Testament, you want to mark those patterns. You want to mark those things where they're showing you in a time of wickedness, one person can actually make a difference. Yeah, I keep, I'm stuck on that definition of perfect that you read from Hebrew, that the, the, their aim, they have mm. like this one aim. And I was just thinking about going, I was skeet shooting a couple of months ago. And <laughs> Do I, you shoot? No, I'm not very good at it at all. I'm from Texas. I feel like I should be good. Like I, like when I went, I kind of thought who took you. I That's would be what better I'm dying than to just know. some friends who are hunters. They're good, you know. And so we went. I'm so concerned right now. Did everyone back away when you picked up the gun? Just did no. They? I'm I'm telling you, I'm from Texas, and it's in my blood. It's like natural. Like we know how to shoot. Um. Anyways, I was sort of surprised I was not as good as I thought I was going to be in my mind. <laughs> I was so good at duck hunt, you know, growing up. Like, I was just so good at it. So I was a little confused by it. Um, but I just thought about the fact that, like... I hope someone got a picture. <laughs> I did, of oh, myself. Okay. Um, no, I wasn't taking a selfie while shooting, I was everybody. like, with the gun? I'm so nervous right now. But I was just thinking about the fact that I missed a lot, <laughs> you know? Um, I hit some, y'all. But I missed a lot. But, like, I just felt like my aim was in the right place. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I like that idea of like, oh yeah, you'll miss, but you're, you were at least aimed in the right direction. And how the opposite of that was every imagination of people's hearts was wickedness. Like 
Everybody else had an aim of to do violence and to do wickedly towards other people. And then his, he just had a different aim. He just had a different intention. Mm. And sometimes like our intentions don't match up with our actions the way that we would hope they would. But it just is neat that that word perfect doesn't mean your intentions always line up with your actions, but rather you just have the right aim and you have the right intentions. Mm, that's you know? so good. The aim of my heart. What's the aim of my, where and is I it loved, pointed at? I was at a dinner the other night and at the dinner we were invited. Um, it's January, so it's the beginning of the year. And we had a little card by each of our, where we were sitting. And the couple who invited us said, we thought tonight it would be really fun for everyone to write down your intentions for 2022. Oh, that's cool. I know. Cause I was like, really goals cool. feel really overwhelming to me and I'm not sure if it's going to turn out. So I'm nervous to commit, you know? Yeah. 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 But an intention, especially if you're just like, I want every day I'm going to do this. And yes. you're like, but then I miss it in week three. And yeah. I'm like, I'm And then done. I have to give up the goal. Right. But I loved when it's just like an intention. And when oh, you heard so cool. the people give their intentions and they were so like genuine and just honest about this, is what I'm going to try for this year. And I can remember one person, as soon as he said his, I, it like lit my heart on fire. And I was like, because I could tell how passionate he was yeah. about achieving yeah. that thing. And my immediate response was, I'm going to pray for you in that all year this year, because I want to see that come to pass in his life, that this, that intention realized. So I kind of love the idea of maybe becoming someone who, instead of, you know, is fixated on this perfection or this right goal live, or this, yeah. but just to be intentional, to have intentions this year. Of, yeah. The aim of my heart. Yeah. I love, and then if a, if a week comes and goes and I don't like do it very well, it's still my intention, you know? And so next yeah. week I can actually like maybe focus a little bit more on yes. it or something like that. Yeah. That's I love so that idea. Cool. Um, how did that come up? Oh, the, his, his Noah. Okay. We were talking about Noah's aim. Oh, that he was and, perfect. He was yeah. just. And, um, you know. and his aim was to walk with God, which we love. So, and that we're just even that yes. whole idea of like a right relationship with God, right? Well, that I'm and in that one. inward, um, rightness. Right. I love the thought of that too. So we kind of want you to be thinking about that. Like this is the world versus Noah and how you see those two different things happening right there. And as we think about what is going to happen, there are a couple lessons that we feel like are so powerful. So we want to talk about the first lesson that we recognize so you'll from the flood. And it, that's going to teach us a little bit about God's character. Yeah. So you'll see we have in the journal lessons from the flood, number one, and has a bunch of parts in number two. The, the whole idea we're trying to do here is like, oh, if the earth is flooded with wickedness, God will respond. Okay. So this is number one. And we start in Genesis 6, 6. And this is just wildly important to us that mm. it says, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And it, it would just be a mistake to like view the flood story and to see a, a vengeful and angry God destroying everything that he said. But the emotion that come, that is behind what you're going to read in these chapters is a God who weeps. We saw that with Enoch mm. when he was looking down at the earth during this violent time, right? Um, he's, I'm so grieved. I'm so sad about this. And that grief is going to actually influence how he responds. So it's important for us to know that that is part of the story. That grieving is part of the story. But it's also important to remember when he says um, there in verse six um, or in verse seven, 
I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. And the second thing that we need to know is God will not allow wickedness to run rampant um, on the earth. He won't. So he's going to grieve over the wickedness and over those children. But he also, we learn about him, he will not allow wickedness to rage forever. Yeah, I took it. We can put this on on the blog. Um, This line from John Taylor that I've always liked. Um, Why did the Lord destroy the world? Was it an act of love? Yes! Exclamation point. The people were so wicked, they would have transmitted their unrighteous natures and desires to their children. Someone may ask, is it right that a just God should sweep off so many people? Is that in accordance with mercy? Yes! Exclamation point. Um, He just talks about in this quote, and we'll link it, that he's just like, what? This is an act of mercy. This was an act of intervention on mm. God's part, right? He's, 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 he took a step in um, to restore broken creation. Like, what am I going to do to make sure I, I restore, you know, what, what's happening here? And that, that's, what, that's what it was, an act of mercy and an act of love. And we've used this before. We actually talked about this when we were talking about Enoch's story. But this one quote that we found in the study portion of the ESV And it's going to be in Amos 9. And it says this, God's ultimate purpose in judgment is never destruction. It is always restoration. And we love just keeping that in mind from the very beginning, that his his ultimate goal is a place where his children can increase and grow and progress. And if there is something that is going to damn that from happening, that is going to stop the progression of that from happening, God will respond. Um, so we learn first that he grieves. Second, we learn that he won't, he, let, it continue. He won't let it continue. And, and as you were reading that, it just made me think like judgment, like a, for some reason I'm picturing a tree. Why? You know, that's got like rotten parts of it or <laughs> whatever. Maybe it's like a Jacob five whole thing where like you would cut out and cut off the branches that would like infect the rest of the tree. And if you saw someone doing that out of context or the idea I thought of is if you saw a, a surgeon just out of context, you didn't know it was a surgeon and you're like, that guy cut open that other guy and started pulling stuff out of him. You would just be like, that is a monster. <laughs> Whoever did that is a, is a mean, horrible, awful person. But in context, you're like, oh, actually that surgeon is a really, really good man or woman and and they are doing a, a work that's restorative to the person yeah and that so, will, uh, will lead to healing right but you can't that's say like oh he took a knife to him and you're like that's horrible and you're like no no no, no. let me tell you the context of what was happening and all of a sudden you see him hmm. in a different light that's so good um the last thing that we learn is a really important truth and um it's that and i'm trying to find where it is and you'll be able to find it um, that the spirit will not always strive with man. Oh, it's in, um, it's in Moses 8. Um, in Moses 8, we learn from all of this part that the spirit won't always strive with man. And that is true, that there will be times when the world can be so wicked that it's going to be really hard to find and feel the spirit. Um, I'm just trying to find that one line. Oh, uh... um, because you'll want to know where, oh, 17, the Lord said unto Noah, my spirit shall not always strive with man. So those are three important things to realize that there are, um, consequences. There are 
going to be uh, things that follow the actions that we have on the earth. And God is going to be aware of what is happening there. But the other thing that we learn that I love is what comes in verse eight of Genesis. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So we learn that God can grieve. We learn that God will not allow wickedness to continue. We learn that his spirit will not always strive with man if their choices don't allow for that spirit to be with them. And we learn um, that there can still be one righteous person in the midst of all of that. And God will use them. And that's going to be Noah. And for just a minute, let's, should we talk about our Hebrew word for this week? Yeah, because this is the name that Noah means. If you go into this other spot where it talks about God's response, and one of his responses is in Genesis 5.29. He just says, in this world of wickedness, there is this man whose name is Lamech, and he had a son. And verse 29, he says he's called his name Noah, saying, this same shall comfort us. And that word Noah actually comes from the same root word as our, our word this week, which is rest. That that is what Noah's name in Hebrew means. It means a place of rest or repose or refuge. And um, the Greek word for that, um, not the Greek. What if I knew the Greek? Um, Hebrew, <laughs> Hebrew Nuach has these definitions. It could also be translated like this. To settle down. Isn't that so cool mm. to think of like a world that's wildly violent? And he sends Noah, he sent rest, to settle down, to dwell, to stay, to give comfort, to be quiet, to remain. Um, those are, and then of course, Noah also is, is on that list of that's, the, that's what his name means. So how does he respond? He will not let it continue, but he sent rest and he sent refuge and he sent comfort to the earth during this time is, is what he did. And where are we going to talk about the, the years? Um, right now, let's go into this right because okay. it's so fun. Part of the story of Noah, we hear about the wickedness before. We're going to hear about the flood, how many days it rained and how long they were there and the dove. We'll talk about that. But right in the middle is this building portion. And there is so much to learn about the building. One of the things that fascinates me when you look at stories like Noah's where you get to watch someone for a period of years rather than just a short encounter with the Lord is you get to see the middle of their story. So often we talk about someone and we're like, well, what happened at the end? What was the promise? What was the miracle? How did it work out? Yeah. yeah. And, and often when we stand up in church and talk about trials or things that we've been through, we generally stand up and talk about what happened, like what came of it, what the you know, how it all came around. And we never really have someone stand up in church and talk about the middle. Yeah. Like this is where I am right now. And there is no answer and I don't feel peace. And I am, you know, in this working out of things. And so I love that sometimes we get to get into the middle of someone's story and we get to do that with Noah. We get to go through this process of watching him prepare for this great trial that's going to come into his life. And part of that preparation at the beginning is going to be this building up of this ark. And it's going to be in six. And um, it's going to start in verse 14. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion you should make it. The length is going to be this long and the breadth is going to be this long. And there's going to be windows. And do you ever read this part and think, why is God giving us all this detail 
in the scriptures. Like, are, are we going to build an ark? Is that what he's, you know, he's told us you're going to have this pitch and it's going to be this long and it's going to be this wide. And sometimes I think there are a couple lessons we are meant to learn from this building process. And we've listed some of these on in the journal that we want you to think about. But the first one that I love is we are going to watch Noah create a place of refuge for his family. That's what we are going to watch right now. And we're going to watch the attention to detail. And there are going to be some clues given that if you read between the lines, you are going to learn about the character of God. Many years ago, I was at a thrift store. I love thrift stores, everyone. They, I, I don't know why. And I think it is probably because there's something in me that loves second chances that I get in a thrift store and I could stay there for days. I want to know the story behind mm. everything. I want to know what happened. And I was in this thrift store in Memphis, Tennessee, and there were all these letters. They were random. They didn't spell out things like hundreds of these letters. And, um, I w- took one up to the man and I was like, where, what are these? And where did they even come from? Cause I want to know the story. I, like my personality always wants to know the story behind something. And so where did they come from? And And what are they? And they actually were on old naval ships. This is how they would write their name is on with these letters. And then when they change the name, they take it off and then they will weld new names on there. And so they're totally like rusted out. And whenever I move this anywhere, I'm so careful not to take it to any places because my hands get so uh, rusty all over them. And then I'm nervous to touch anything else because... It leaves a mark on you. And I bought these and I wrote Refuge because I love thinking about that process of creating that refuge, of Noah creating that ship. And this is something that's on our fireplace in our home. It's what you see right when you walk in the door because I want my kids to think maybe we are creating refuge here and a place that is just offers rest and comfort and all of those things that we talked about um, when they come in the home. And I love that it it's going to leave a mark on us. Like creating a refuge is going to leave a mark on you when you're done with it. And it's going to take time. The other thing I love about reading this process is that arc is huge. It's huge, particularly for that time period. Like it's outrageous when you start thinking about what he's doing. And I'm sure a lot of the people were like, what is he doing? Yeah. You know, like this does not even make sense. And we don't even live by water. So it makes even less sense. These things that he's doing and just that the height and the breadth and the length. I love when David drew all these boats (laughs) on the journal, because what he's showing you is Noah's Ark in relation to the size of some of the things that we would maybe be able to visualize. And one of the lessons that I think it tells us is there was room for anyone who wanted to get on the Ark. There was room. Mm -hmm. It was huge. Anyone who, who wanted to change their mind and come, there would have been room for them on that boat. And I love that as we think about building our own refuge, just that thought of there's room for everyone. Anyone could have gotten on the ark. Yeah, and the, the length of time that would have taken to, to build it and how there always would have been. It's almost like this 
picture was happening of the heart of God, you know, that like for years and years and years, someone would see Noah like cutting down trees and planing the wood and nailing it in and putting it together and everything. And you just see like this image of God working with humanity over a really long period of time. Because they would have been like, what are you doing? Right. Building an ark. Why? Because God is going to destroy the earth in a flood. Why? Because of the wickedness. There was 120 or 25 years of that conversation ongoing. Like if you ever wondered if God was giving you time to choose something different, you had 120 years of watching Noah work. Um, that God was like, do you want to, do you want to come? Right. (laughs) Do you you want refuge? Because watch, I'm building refuge right now. And we love this from Alfred Adersheim, who is a favorite Bible scholar of mine. Um, it says this, the long suffering of God waited for 120 years while the ark was preparing. And during this time, especially Noah must have acted as a preacher of righteousness, right? He's every time people ask, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And he's just preaching. The building of the ark finished when Noah was 480 years old. That is before any of his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth had been born. In fact, 20 years before the birth of Shem, which is so interesting. As we were reading this, we were like, this is now think about this for a minute. Thus, the great faith of Noah appeared not only in building an ark in the midst of a scoffing and unbelieving generation, And that against all human probability of it's ever even being needed, right? Everybody's like, we don't even live by water. Um, And 120 years before it was actually required, he's, he's building this. But also he's providing room for his sons and his son's wives. And while he's building it, he's childless. He doesn't even have sons or sons, wives at the time. Indeed, the more we try to realize the circumstances, the more grand appears the unshaken confidence of the patriarch. Mm. And I just love the thought of that, of there's so many reasons why Noah could have said, "Uh, I don't think we need to do this when God called. I I don't think we're going to need an ark. I don't even have sons. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to build an ark. There's no like need for it here. There's so many reasons why he could have said, this is not going to work. But who loves that he just started cutting down trees? <laughs> He's like, okay. And, and just that there could have been so many other different solutions, right? That there could have been like a cave or there could have been some other place already prepared. And we see that sometimes in scripture, that yeah. God has a place that's prepared. But it's interesting in this particular story that he has Noah as a co-partner with him in creating this place of refuge, refuge mm. you know, together. So we took all that from that verse 614 in this list right here of just him building that and bringing it together. Uh, PS 6.3 is where you find the 120 years mm. if you're looking for that. So 614, he's just building this, this ark um, and there's rooms that he's going to make in the ark. And that's where we get that idea of like, it's a place that had room for anybody mm. that wanted to come in. This pitch is, an, is such a neat idea that, that it was pitched within and without, you know, just like to fill in all the cracks that could let any of that water in. That there yeah, it was, was doubly this, safe. Right. Yeah. This, yeah. there was a deliberate action of, of his and to like, Oh, I'm actually going to like, 
pitch it. And I was thinking about this today because I saw our friend Brooke Romney posted this thing just about like kids and cell phone usage and stuff like that and how she just, there was this line in there that she quoted from somebody where it says, it is a parent's job to step in and to intervene in certain scenarios to keep your children safe. And I, I thought that with the pitching, you know, mm. it's just like, where are the cracks in this boat? Because I'm going to make sure that from within and without, there's no way for that water um, to get in. Uh, this might be interesting for y'all that the ancients saw water and floods as a symbol of like chaos and turmoil and wickedness. Like they associated them like with each other and, and, um, and, and trouble and, and stuff like that. And it's easy to see like why they would associate them together. Cause remember there was that wild sea, you know, that mm-hmm. God kind of calms yes. in the creation, but just the idea of like, I'm going to pitch without and within, I'm going to have external and internal, like deliberate protection. things I do for protection's sake. Um, here are some of the things that we loved just as we watched Noah create his refuge. And then we think about what this might look like in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own families. So we gave you a list in number two of these lessons from the flood. And it's going to start out with just a whole bunch of verses. I'm going to just read through some of these. So in Moses 529, um, he's going to provide Noah. He's going to provide somebody whose specific calling is to pro- is to bring rest and comfort to the people who choose that refuge. In six eight, we find out that Noah is someone who finds grace. That grace is a part of creating this refuge. In six fourteen, um, it's where he tells him, "You make an ark. Like you make the refuge. You use your hands. You get in and you do the work of the making." We love in 616 that a window was going to be in this ark, that light was going to come in. And if you follow your footnote there in 16a, we love that some rabbis believed it was a precious stone that actually shone in the ark. And who loves that we know a story that is really representative of that, that we're like, oh, yeah, we saw God do that with the brother of Jared, right? This stone that would bring light into the ark. And there's something that's cool about that where it's like maybe one of them, Brother of Jared would have been after Noah, right? So maybe he borrowed the idea from the story of Noah and how we can look to stories of Mm. the past as patterns for what we might do in our own lives today. Um, In 18, he says to Noah, with thee will I establish my covenant and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy son's wife will come with you. And so Part of this refuge is covenants, um, believing in a covenant God and those promises that will come as we walk a covenant path. That's part of this refuge. Yeah, and maybe even, um, what do you say, like similes with each other, Mm. right? That a covenant relationship is a refuge, right? Let's make a covenant and as part of entry, almost like I entered the covenant, equal sign, I entered into the ark, Right? Like you would put those almost as similar yeah, with love each that. other. Yep. It's so good. That one of the promises to covenant Israel is protection. Yes. I will guard you. And I refuge. will protect you. And I, I will be a refuge. And to that you. every living thing can come into that promise. And there's room love. for it. And there's, and there's room, room for it. Yeah. Um, and in 19, it talks about that. You just, you bring in two of every sort, you bring them in to the ark, right? Into the refuge to keep them alive with you. <laughs> I now love that phrase and I've never loved it before what until right now. 
two of every sort. Yes, that's I, so I just cute. like that normally my mind goes to like, oh yeah, t- you know, two of every animal. But what a cool line. There is not just room for everyone, but there's room of every sort of yeah. person. It's you know, so whatever, whatever you are, there's yeah. room for you. Yes. That's so rad. Yeah, come in. And to keep them alive. And then in verse 22, we love when it said, thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And we just love those three words. So did he. Um, that that's just how he lived. If God said, build an ark, and it didn't make any sense at all, but he just did. Because mm-hmm. that's what God said. So that's what I'm going to do. And as you think about those things in your own life, not in Noah's, but does this look like your life? Rest and comfort, finding grace, making a refuge, letting light in, establishing covenants, keeping alive um, and doing all that God commanded. Is that part of the refuge that you are creating? And as we think about um, when when there was wickedness all over the earth, how did God respond? From these two things we learned, he responds with grief. He responds by not allowing wickedness to continue, but he also responds by giving a refuge. And what if that's what you answered when people were like, well, tell us about Noah. Tell us about what happened when all the wickedness. And what if your first response was, oh, God provided a refuge. Yeah. What if that was your favorite part of Noah's story? Yeah. Instead of sending a judgment, he sent protection. He sent a rescue from you know, what was, what they were going to do to themselves, yeah. you know? Just, and it I, was like an extraordinary yeah. rescue, yeah. you know? And it was like unheard of. It was like this crazy thinking and creative and, you know, the solution that maybe no one there would have thought of, but you love that God thinks bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And ahead of time too. Yes. The fact is like, let's build this art for your family while he was still childless. Mm. Like that's just wild to me to think about like the things that he might be asking me to do or prompting me to do right now will provide a refuge or rest for for something in the future that I I can't even foresee yet. And sometimes it might be big like building an ark, but most often it's probably going to be small. God's going to work with us in, in small circles in our area of the world. What's going on? I had a neighbor, a good friend of mine stopped by the other day and knock on my door to bring over a Christmas gift. And her and I have been praying for her sister, who is not um, an active participant in religion right now, but just an amazing woman and two darling daughters. And for years, my friend and I have talked about praying for this woman, that she will find reason to come back to church and that that will somehow find a place in her life. And so when she came over, she said, you are not going to believe what happened, but because it's been years, like it has been years. And, um, she said a new person got hired at my sister's work and she, the lady just started working there. And then after several weeks, she came up to my friend's sister and said, I just would love to be friends with you. Like, would you be interested in being friends. And so they became friends and, and she would write home and call home to her sister and text about this new friend at her work. And then the new friend invited her to church on Christmas Sunday. And my friend said to me, you are not going to believe this, but she took her two daughters and she went to her friend's church and her friend 
is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And my sister went, she went, she actually went to church. And then just on my porch right there, she just closed her eyes and it was the sweetest thing. And she just said, thank you, Jesus, for sending someone. And mm. I thought, oh, that is so cute. Don't you want to be the friend who showed up? Because she didn't even know we've been praying and praying and praying for years. But she just showed up and she provided a refuge for that woman and a safe place and an invitation into God's goodness just simply by saying, I'd like to be yeah. friends with you. And I love the thought that Jesus will send someone. And, and in this story, Noah. Yeah, yeah. Because what if that was your response to the flood story, you know? Yeah. Like, what do you want to say about the flood? Oh, thank you, Jesus, for sending somebody. Yes. That's what I want to say about yeah. that story. You know, for like, like this world was corrupt and you sent somebody, you know? Yes. Thank you for doing that. And I and I just want to say, like, you know, you, you talked about, like, our calling might not be to build an ark, but... I mean, even with this story, I feel like each person added to what eventually became the ark for her. Mm. And like, I, we'll, it's just really through like cutting the trees and planting the wood and putting on the pitch that like just little by little, we actually create this, this refuge, yes. you know, and yeah. it's, it's neat to think about. So good. Um, as you were saying that, I think it's awesome to jump into the lessons from the dove as yeah. you talk about, you know... God intervenes and God provides restoration and refuge. Um, but there are in the middle of that some lessons, you know, that we learn and we call these lessons from the dove. So you'll see this in chapter eight. And if you're familiar with the story of Noah, you'll know this, that they, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and then they floated for a lot more days. And they just kind of were, you know, living on this boat and just waiting for the for the end of the miracle yeah. to come about. <laughs> you know, like they're just like, thank you for saving us from this. Um, when 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 is it going to dry up? Because you they know? probably were so happy when it stopped raining. Right. They probably were like, oh, it's over. Right. And then, right. It, and then it wasn't over for like months. It right. wasn't over. Right. So they have this dove and you first see the dove in Genesis chapter eight, verse um, eight or seven, and he sends out this dove. Sometimes it says raven, and sometimes it says dove. Mm. I insist on it being a dove. Okay. I do not want to send a raven. This is not Edgar Allan Poe, right? <laughs> so he sends a dove out to, you know, to just see what happens with it, to check and see, is it going to like land somewhere or bring back some evidence? And in verse nine and 10, we find out that the dove returned. She returned unto the ark for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. And then in verse 10, it said, they stayed yet another seven days. And we just think sometimes there's periods in our lives where we have to wait, mm. where we don't necessarily see any evidence that things are going to get better or that things are going to, to change. But there are times when it's just the lesson is you have to wait, you know, wait those seven days. And he sends out the dove again a second time. Um, and then in verse 11, you find out that dove came in in the evening and in her mouth was this olive leaf that she'd plucked off of a, of a tree. And so Noah knew that the waters had at least begun to abate, it says, from the earth. And, and sometimes we just love thinking of that little olive leaf, that one little tiny branch, as a symbol of hope. Mm. That there are some things, like sometimes you see the little twig. Sometimes you see the olive branch and you just, in the waiting places, you're like, oh, there is hope. There's something to look forward to. 
in those. And then eventually he sends it out an, another time in verse 12. And the dove never came back because it had found a place to stay or to live. And we knew from that, finally, the full miracle had been realized, right? That the earth was now cleansed. And, and it almost, you, as you read this, you almost feel like it's the story of Adam and Eve again. Mm. Like, it's just like, okay, starting. let's over. start over. Let's refresh this. And now we have the two by the animals of creation and a paradise place on a mountain where they land. And it's like, and I love it's been realized. that it's the miracle the whole time. The whole time. Yes. Still, yeah. Like in the wait, it's still going to be the miracle. And in the hope, it's still going to be the miracle. And finally, when it's realized, still the miracle. It was the miracle the whole time they were living that situation. And I love the thought of that because maybe you're in the wait. Mm. And um, just to remember, he is working in the waiting. That there's... We might not realize it, but there is work being done in the waiting. And then he sends us those little just reasons for hope, you know, until finally yeah. it's realized. And I love thought of that. Um, I, I just love, want to put a little olive branch, you yes, know, in your house. Somewhere, especially somewhere if you're like, in that time of great trial, just to remember it, he's just, he's working to see those and things. we're going to yeah. watch that. This, this square at the very end is my favorite part of the journal page this week, because I love this thought, which will prevail. And you can write on your blank spaces there, the waters or God, like who is going to prevail in this story. And you could get caught up in the waters. You could. In fact, if you go to Genesis seven, and you read, I'm just going to walk you through some verses. First, chapter 7, verse 18 starts out, and the waters prevailed. And in verse 19, and the waters prevailed. And in verse 20, 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail. And in verse 24, um, and the waters prevailed upon the earth in 150 days, right? You could get caught up in that story. You could. The waters prevailed. Like or, chaos, violence, trouble, yes. one is what they would, you know, when, yeah. right? Yeah. That symbol that, of that's And that's what, they what are. prevailed. And, and when you read the story and you're Noah and his family, there probably was a moment when they were like, the, the water is going to win. Right. Yeah. It's going to prevail. But then you start seeing these hints and we love, there's just a couple words we love. In oh, start one, with this verse right here. That's one oh, we love so much. Genesis 7, 17. And it's, and the flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased and bear up the ark and it was lift up above the earth. And this is what I have written in the side of my scriptures. Sometimes lifting up requires trial. And I think that's so important to remember that, that there was lifting up that happened even while the waters were prevailing. And, and, and it's a cool imagery too, is just as, as the floods like increased in proportion, God lifted up mm, the ark with them, you that's know, so good. and that, you know, he was using, right. The waters, you know, to, you know, to lift them. And you love that it was bear up. Um, just when you think about bearing people's burdens and lift it up, mm. that those are the word choice that was used for that part. And then I love this part because then you start in eight verse one and just maybe you want to write down some of these words. It says, and God remembered Noah. That is the first thing. And the second thing that you read in verse two 
and the rain from heaven was restrained. And we love this. He remembered and he restrained. And then in verse four, and the ark rested. And then in verse five, the waters decreased continually. Those waters that were prevailing. Um, when God got involved, they decreased continually. And then um, at the very end in verse 15, um, he's going to talk about... In the next chapter. In the next chapter, yeah. sorry, in nine. He's going to talk about this promise, this covenant. I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood, right? The waters will not prevail. You could write that right in there to destroy all flesh and, and a bow will be in the cloud and that will be the symbol of my promise. And I just love, um, you could have, which will prevail the waters or you could have God who will remember and restrain and give rest and decrease continually and promise. That's the God we believe in. That's the God who we worship. And you think about those covenant, um, the promises to covenant Israel. Yeah. And they're just so sweet. The one about your, this refuge that you'll bring your sons and your wife and your son's wives into. And the promise that the waters will not prevail. That thing that is against you, it will not prevail. And I love those two promises to covenant Israel. And, and the rest of them, that God will remember you is a promise. That he will restrain what needs to be restrained. Um, that he will give you rest and that he will continually either decrease or increase whatever it is in your life. That will be a continual process, you know, that he will do. And then, may, and, and maybe just that last promise that he'll send somebody. Like, some, like yeah. some, he will do something. He will respond to the situations of our life. Like for everybody in all of our stories, there will come a moment where we, we can say, we can see the olive branch and we can say, uh, thank you, Jesus, for sending somebody. You know, that's just that promise. So. Yep. So good. Okay. See we'll you see next, you next week. week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.